series. I, I've been talking lately on, on something that I think that is really critical in our society, and that's in the church today, and it's called the power of a holy life. I believe that God wants us to understand that living with Jesus and serving the Lord does not mean that I am supposed to... A lot, a lot of people don't understand this. I'm going to say it. Holiness is not... When we talk about it, so many times in our mind we begin to uh, think about how unholy we are. We begin to... Just, just the mention of the Word begins to cause some of us to draw back. But... But holiness is really an invitation by the Holy Spirit for us to surrender our lives and our bodies. To sur- Everyone say surrender. Yeah, see, I, I surrender and I yield my body and my mind and my life and my plans as a living sacrifice. I surrender the plan. I surrender my home. I surrender my marriage to the Lord so that He can take what I cannot change and He begins to work miracles in my life. How many of you remember the story when Jesus fed the 5,000? It wasn't until the bread and the fish were put in Jesus' hands was there any multiplication. God wants to begin to bring multiplication and increase, but I must release control. Holiness is not about me trying to measure up. It's about me surrendering to the work that He has already completed and finished. I want you to say with me, I am holy. Now do you believe it? You know what? You actually have to declare the Word. God has called us righteous. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, I want you to know, and this is important that you listen on this, He has declared us holy, and He has declared us righteous in His sight. But yet, we still need to renew our minds so that we can develop our walk of holiness. The Bible says to walk in the Spirit. The Bible says to walk, Ephesians 4, 1, walk worthy of the calling wherewith you are called. You see, I'm already declared holy, but now I need to renew my mind. I need to come into agreement and into alignment with God And God begins to develop, as I yield and surrender in my walk, I begin to walk out holiness. The virtue of holiness is integrity. Purity. I begin to come into alignment with His thoughts, His ways, and when I'm under that umbrella of His authority... Guess what happens? I am protected. I'm under favor because I'm walking by faith. I'm walking in the Spirit. Remember years ago when the Lord was uh, dealing with me about a particular addiction that I had. And I'll tell you, that addiction hung over my head every day, every week, 
and I could not seem to break it. It was like the enemy haunted me, and he actually said, the enemy, Satan, the devil, the demon. I I wasn't demon-possessed, but there was a demonic stronghold through the voice of persuasion over my mind saying, you will never be free. What the enemy did to me. And the Lord began to say, Ray, in order for you to experience manifestation of freedom, I have to begin to do things that are not natural. Do you know that people naturally sin? Do you know that there are certain things that you do by nature? You, you have a nature. There, there's been things that you've brought with you from childhood, uh, influence in your family, things you brought with you in life and your surroundings. All of your surroundings in your past have had a major impact to shape the way you think, the way you live, the way you speak, the way you see things, the way you see men, women, marriage, life in general. You are seeing life through a lens that has been shaped by your environment and by the people around you. Some of those environments and some of those people have been healthy and good. Some of them have not been healthy. All of us have come from dysfunctional families. All of us have come from brokenness. There's no such thing as a good sinner. There's no such, you know, I remember, Lord, send me all the good sinners in doubt. No, no, we're all filthy rags. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing we can do. We cannot improve on what Jesus already accomplished. And see, for me to walk by faith in the holiness of the righteousness that He's declared in initially is a battle because it's not natural for me to declare something that is not a habit or something that is not what God's Word has declared for me. And so I have to begin to call those things that are not as though they are. I have to speak those things. I remember telling my wife, Carol, because she walked with me through that addiction, and she said, Ray, you are not a problem. You are not a victim. You are a conqueror. Now, in the beginning, it was hard for me to accept that because I had developed habits of continual failure. And so, see, when we come into holiness, holiness is not just declaring I'm holiness and believing it and receiving it. That initially is important. That's the first stage. But the second stage is when I begin to walk out through the renewing of my mind, through the declaring of the Word, I begin to walk out that faith. I walk out that Word on a daily basis. How many of you remember in the Old Testament when God brought Israel into the Promised Land and the very first city they were to take was Jericho? Remember what the Word of the Lord in Joshua chapter 5 was this. It says that when Israel came to Jericho, it says that the city was shut up against Israel. In other words, that was a stronghold. It was shut up. It says shut up because of Israel. Do you know that the enemy has sought to shut you down and to thwart 
increase and blessing and favor in your life? Do you know the enemy has tried to shut you down, limit you, put walls and barriers in front of you to stop you? But what did God tell Israel to do? An interesting thing that he said. He said, I want Israel every day for seven days. Everyone say seven. Seven is the number of maturity, completion, or perfection. God says, every day I want you to get up and I want you to walk around Jericho. Now, and the second command was this. When you get up and you start walking, God told them through Joshua, He says, when they walk, tell them to keep their mouth shut. How many of you know sometimes God wants us to do things keep our mouth shut because Joshua remembered that the reason why the first generation had died in the wilderness was because of their complaining mouth. So God told them to get up every day and walk around Jericho. And they're looking at these walls. Every day they were to walk once around the city. Keep your mouth shut. Don't talk. But they're obeying. You see, holiness does not mean I'm thinking about it. I remember one time, I I actually said this to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm getting ready to obey. Five years later, Lord, I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready, Lord. I'm, I'm really thinking. I'm, I'm persuaded. I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm really getting ready to obey. But see, God told him to literally get up. And in other words, faith involved an activity. You see, there's an activity where I'm beginning to walk out. And as you walk out, you're developing a nature that is Christ-like that is right now not natural to you. See, holiness is not natural. We fret. We are so conditioned by the environment of our society. I mean, we got to get, got to get into cell phones. We got to get into texting. We, we got to do this, and we got to have everybody thing that everybody has. And I got to look like what everybody looks like, and I got to run here and do this. And I got to, and you're just caught up with this thing in society. And it's what it is, what the Bible refers to as winds. The Bible says the wicked are driven by the winds. Have you ever felt like you're just caught up in a wind and you're just driven like a tumbleweed, blowing over here and blowing over there and you're just life is confusing. I don't know where I'm going and what I'm doing. And yet God has called you to be a tree of righteousness. A tree has to have roots. It has to go down, and it weathers the seasons. A tree does not pick up its roots and go here. It doesn't pick up, well, I don't like this season. I'm going to go over this church because I like this season over here. Boop. No, your marriage goes through seasons. Your church, and today people are into picking up my roots. I'm going to go over here because I like the season of this place and this church and this man and this one. Boop. One thing I learned from my grandfather years ago because he had an orchard. He says, when you continually 
transplant trees, they become stunted in their fruit, stunted in their growth. God never intended for you to be boop. You know, He intended for you to have roots. Now, when it comes to holiness, holiness is believing, receiving, and accepting and declaring. The second phase is now I'm going to begin to walk out and work out my own salvation. I'm walking this thing out. Amen? And so, that's what we have. Now, I want you to see some things in Scripture. How many of you got your Bibles? Notice what the Bible says, because what I'm going to be reading here today are some things that are important. And in Thessalonians, this is a Gentile church. These were converts who recently come to the Lord, and Paul is sending the letter to the elders at Thessalonica, and he says this, verse 1, chapter 4, Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please. Everyone say, walk and please. Oh, that was weak. Let's say it again. Walk and please. In other words, my life is to walk and please the Lord for you know what commandments. God didn't say you know what suggestions here. He says you know what commandments we gave you through Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God for your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor, not in the passion of the lust. In other words, how I feel. How many of you know that your feelings work against your faith? Paul here is saying that as a Gentile, when you were not saved, you lived and you were driven by the passions of your lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us unto uncleanness, but in holiness. Everyone say, in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has given us His Holy Spirit. Now, God is saying here is this, is that we've been called unto holiness, and my body has been redeemed, and I am to honor God in my body by not allowing my body to be used for sexual immorality. Can you say amen? Now somebody may say, Pastor Rhea, you're just preaching legalism here. No, no, it's the Word of God. God doesn't just come to give you love. How many of you know Jesus just didn't die to come to forgive your sins? He died to change your life. The ultimate goal of the cross was not just to forgive you. The ultimate goal of the cross was to bring you into the image of Jesus. All of you want to be like Jesus. Okay? But that walk is not natural. Remember years ago when the Lord began to talk to me about walking in the Spirit. Folks, I want to tell you, one of the first things I had problems with was authority. I don't like anybody telling me what to do. God says, I want you to submit to those in authority. Well, they're men. And they might make mistakes. And they might have some secret sin in their life. I don't have to submit to that. Do you know God doesn't require you, listen to this, God doesn't require you 
to submit to people because they're perfect. God actually... How many of you know God anointed David to be Saul and he served under a Saul? And it was under that kind of leadership that God developed the heart of a leader in David that he would have never known had he not walked through those trying times. But what we do is we run. God says, stay put. Be a tree of righteousness. Planted, rooted, don't move. I'm working in you. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. I've got, I got to give myself some amens here. I'm not getting a whole lot of Jump over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice what the Scripture says. I want to tell you right now, folks, there is a tsunami of filth in our land today. There are many Christians today that have been seduced. They're being deceived. Even by the message of grace. Grace is not a license to continue... In sin. Grace is to help us to have a renewed mind about the loving kindness, the goodness, the compassion of God. It helps us to be able to come to a place where we can trust our Father in heaven. That's what grace does. It leads me to repentance. But the purpose of grace is to develop also the fear of God. Notice what it says, 1 Corinthians 6 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That means they won't go to heaven. Do not be deceived. Now keep in mind, he's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to the church at Corinth here. Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, nor sodomites, thieves, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Aren't you? Everyone say, I was some of them. Past tense. That's in my past. But I love this. But now you've been washed. You're sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. Can you say amen? You've been sanctified, justified, set apart, and you are holy. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're holy. Turn to the next one and say, you're holy. Oh, that was weak. Lord, heal some marriages or something. I don't know what. We need to... How many of you know the enemy wants to break communication here? Boy, the enemy wants to just put walls between us. Folks, let's wake up and realize that there's demonic forces working in, in our marriages, in our lives. We've got to wake up and do war against this thing. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. My enemy isn't the pastor, the, my wife, my husband, my kid, my boss. There are powers that are working to get me off track. And I pray right now that you don't see Ray Galligan up here. James says that when we preach, we're to speak as the oracles of God. Do you know that when a ministry speaks, is what it is, it's the voice of the bridegroom speaking to the bride. I pray that you will have ears to hear because what the Holy Spirit is saying is that I've called you. Now, I, w- I want you to jump over with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is telling us, he told us that we're sanctified, we're called, and he tells us that in the kingdom of God as Christians, we're to realize 
that we need to call sin, sin. Everyone say, call sin, sin. God intends for us to come out of that gray, hazy arena. God wants you to be able to hate iniquity and love righteousness. Hebrews 1.9 says, Because thou hast hated iniquity and you've loved righteousness, you have been anointed with the oil of gladness. Jesus hated. Do you know that you cannot love your wife until you hate anything that comes between you? I've often asked people, I'll say, what's the opposite of love? And everybody says hate. It's not. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. Do you know that love and hate go hand in hand? The more you come to love God, the more you come to hate sin. Do you know that hatred is an attribute that's part of our holy walk? Everyone say hate. Oh boy, Pastor, oh, you're walking on some weird stuff here. Because all you guys have been, all we have all been exposed to people in our society that have have walked and lived under the kingdom of darkness who have used hatred in a way that has abused people. But as you grow in righteousness, in holiness, as you grow in your love for God, you're going to come to hate anything. You're going to recognize the enemy and you're going to see what the enemy was doing and you are to hate iniquity. Everyone say hate. I hate it. I hate what God hates. I hate anything that would come between me and you. I hate envy. I hate jealousy. I hate sin. I hate pride. I hate it. It's not part of me. But I love humility. I love mercy. I love forgiveness. I love Jesus. See, Jesus loved us enough to die on the cross because He hated those things that were destroying you. Now, I want you to jump with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're living in times. The Apostle Paul says that the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. What that means is they're not going to believe the Bible. They're going to become passive and apathetic and they're going to become lukewarm and they're going to begin to criticize and become critical against those who actually preach the light. Preach the truth. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we read it last week, all those who desire to live godly will what? Have a picnic? No, all those who desire to live godly is going to suffer persecution. Remember talking to a man one time, he says, Pastor, you know what? God's been touching my heart and re- making me realize my priorities out of line, and I've been wanting to come to church more. I want to serve God more, but I have a wife in my life that she doesn't want to serve God. She's lukewarm. She's passive. She'd rather sit home. She doesn't want to come to prayer. And I said, listen, brother, it's not a war between flesh and blood. You need to understand, you need to pray against the spirit of lukewarm and apathy in the home. You need to pray that God will begin to break forth 
in the home and break a fresh passion in your wife and in your home. Begin to lift up Jesus in your home. Don't just look at the problem. I remember when I was wrestling with some things in my life, my wife and I began to develop the walk of holiness by first of all, taking hold of the promises of God. Jump with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to come back here. 2 Peter chapter 1. Listen to what the Bible says here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace. How many of you would like a little more grace and peace in your life? Be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. If I'm going to grow in grace and peace, I've got to have knowledge. I'm going to have to really get into the knowledge of Jesus our Lord, and jump down for the sake of time, verse 4, by which has been given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of what? The divine nature. In other words, God's going to take your rebellious, stubborn, resistant nature and give you a divine nature. When God, I want to tell you folks, every, every, I've been serving God for probably about 48 years. I'm 55. And I can tell you that everything that God has put His finger on in my life, whether He's come to me by His Spirit, or whether the Lord has used my pastors or leaders or brothers in the body of Christ, every single thing God has put His finger on my life, I have resisted it. And I'm ashamed to tell you. You know why? Because Ray Galligan has a flesh body that is stubborn. My flesh rebels. My flesh says that I must live and hang on to what I feel I must do in my own. My flesh, oh, my flesh, has a problem with change. I don't like change. Anybody out there like that? I don't like change. I don't want to forgive my enemies. I don't want to serve sometimes. I don't always want to do this or do that. I don't always want to invite somebody over my house when I like to relax. God says, your life, Ray, is not your own. It belongs to me. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. But, but see, here's, here's what he says. I've got to get a hold of promises. Everyone say promises. Now what has been sad in the church for years, ministries have tried to put holiness upon people and tried to elevate the watermark in the people's lives by putting threats on them. By telling them that if you don't obey God, a curse is coming. And if you don't obey God and all these kind of... And what, what ministries have done is they put people under the law. Now there is truth in the law, that if we disobey and we walk in disobedience, the Bible says in Romans chapter 2 that we're going to come under oppression. If we disobey, we willingly disobey the word of the Lord, you're, you, you're going to find the blessing of God lift. 
The blessing of God is not on disobedient people. But if we want to come and understand how to change, I've got to get a hold of the promises of God. And so this is what the Bible says. Well, we've got to get a hold. Jump back with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. My time's really going. 1 Timothy chapter 4, notice what it says. In the last times, times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to, to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Then he characterizes these people. He says, speaking lies in hypocrisy. In other words, they have no problem lying. They have a seared conscience. That means that they are unable to discern right from wrong, and they have become so entrenched in sin that their conscience no longer rings with a sense of understanding between what's right and what's wrong, what's holy and unclean. Forbidding to marry, verse 3. In other words, they're covenant breakers and religious and abstaining from foods which God has created to be received with thanksgiving. In other words, they're naturalists. They just focus on natural things and foods and they're concerned about that and they're basically religious. Now, one of the things here that I want to emphasize is that we live in a time where there are doctrines of demons. And what the Bible is talking about is these seducing spirits. Paul, Paul talked about The word doctrine means a teaching. People are going to teach these doctrines. And they're going to seduce. Now, one of these doctrines, by the way, which came in uh, uh, the early 60s, is the doctrine of Darwinism. Can we get to that, uh, Judy? I, want, I just want to read a couple things here about this. How many of you heard of Charles Darwin? Three basic things about this man. If I can just get us to go to the next thing. By Darwinism basically says that all life, including human life, evolved from the same source over billions of years, and this argument created three important core transitions in our thinking. And by the way, this is just smothered in universities and colleges today. And first, instead of being taught that humans were created in the image of God, as people once commonly believed, students now were taught that our ancestors were not in the image of God, but our ancestors are monkeys and apes. So anybody been scratching your armpit lately? Darwinism teaches that you are not a created being in the image of an intelligent designer God. You are created, you come from an animal. How sick. How sad. The second thing here, this transformation changed the way that society valued... By the way, I got this out of Chris Walton's book, excellent book I'm reading, Human Life, because it reduced humanity to smart apes. We're now smart apes, by the way and elevated the animal kingdom to the value of humans. Humans have hunted animals since the beginning of time, so it is easy to see how this value system affected the way we viewed and treated our own kind. Now we protect animals, and we kill babies. See, Darwinism has caused us to come into a paradigm shift, and we've made excuses. The second thing he's done... If I can get this. 
The theory of evolution told us that we came about through a series of cosmic accidents that transpired over billions of years, which signifies that there was no divine design, no purpose for which we came about, no creator that loved us to die for us. Instead, it's just us, all alone on this giant rock called Earth. The theory tells us that we are born to die with no eternity before us, no heaven after us. This philosophy naturally elevates pleasure as the highest goal of life on the God-forsaken planet. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die was the motto of Darwinism. Live it up now. Tomorrow, who cares? There is no tomorrow. We're just going to kind of go into a cosmic kind of a sleep. Do you know that there are people that believe that they're just going to go into a soul sleep? My Bible tells me there's a heaven and there's a hell. In fact, when you die and your body gives up the spirit, you're either going to be taken by angels, you'll be taken by demons. You're going to be taken by one or two. The Bible's very clear. Three, the final may be the most destructive cultural shift from Darwinism that evolution delivered in our modern society is the single-dimensional view of reality. Darwinism seeks to explain all of creation through the material world, ignoring the soul, the mind, the will, and emotion. That's the soul. Your mind, your will, and that, that part in you that feels conviction. Darwinism seeks to desensitize that feeling of guilt because everything's relative. You do whatever you want because we're animals. We're smart apes. Ignoring the soul and denying the existence of the spirit realm altogether. Now, amen. What are the doctrine of demons? Well, I'm going to close right here. I'm sorry about that. I'm going to leave you hanging. Because I, I, I just feel I need to close because I need to get into this and I don't have time. But How many of you get something out of this? Amen. Uh, you, you want to come. There are six things scripturally I need to bring out. And I don't have time when I get into this. I know it's not a Christmas message. I'm not following the Christmas season, folks. I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit. And the Lord has impressed on me to continue... On this subject of holiness, and why are we getting in what the, how does the doctrine of demons have anything to do with holiness? You will not believe. You will not believe. Do you know that over two-thirds of those attending to church today do not believe in the spirit realm? They do not embrace it. And I want to tell you right now, we are not in a battle against flesh and blood. There are forces in darkness. The enemy seeks. That's why Paul says, lest Satan should take advantage of us. We are not ignorant of his devices. I really believe, and I'm not, I'm not saying that there's a demon behind every corner and every wall. I understand there's personal responsibility in our choices. But I do want you to understand that there are principalities and spiritual uh, princes and, and rulers of darkness in heavenly places that seek to thwart, to stop, to limit what God wants to do in your life. 
You know, in order for you to grow in the knowledge of Jesus, part of growing in the knowledge of Jesus, we find in the epistles that Paul warned the church. Paul was equipping the church about the spiritual enemy that existed. And you need to understand, I remember one time, no kidding, my wife and I were having an argument in our house. We've had many arguments, by the way. But I remember this one time, it was over something so dumb and so simple. And I remember, I said, you know, Carol, this is amazing that we in our relationship at that time have been reduced to just bickering and just carrying some junk in our hearts over something that was so small. And what we did is we began to open a door. Let me tell you something. Demonic activity has no power over you unless you open a door. The Bible says Jesus said to Peter, He said that upon this rock, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom and the gates, the doors of hell, will not prevail. Now when we deal with this next week, we're going to be looking at these gates and these doors. And we're going to see what Jesus has provided through the cross. And you're, when you see this next week, you are going to be amazed. You're going to start saying, wow, there's the devil working. Oh, there's the enemy working. Instead of, how many of you like to come out of fighting battles in the flesh and really begin to see what's going on in the heavenlies? It will change the way you see things, the way you pray. Because when you see and hear what the doctrine of demons are, I'm serious, it's Scripture, we're going to look at it. By the way, if you want to get a head start on this, just get a strong concordance and look under demons, you're going to find it. Everything I'm going to be teaching next week. But don't, please. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You'll kill the, the thing I want to bring home. Let's all stand to our feet. Hasn't God been good today? God is so good. <clears throat> And I'm going to tell you, He loves you. And you know what? I, I just believe we're going to a new level. Amen. We're not looking behind. We're moving ahead. And even though Paul says in the last days, many will depart from the faith. But here's the thing. You don't have to depart if you keep your eyes on Jesus. You've got to keep your eyes on Him. We're not going to look at the problem. We're not going to look at the circumstance. We're keeping our eyes on Him. He loves us. Amen. Everyone raise their hand. Father, we love you tonight, today. We thank You for Your love, Lord. We thank You for the Word of the Lord. Lord, You have called, sanctified, justified. Lord, You have declared us holy and righteous. Now, Lord, we surrender to the walk. We surrender, Lord, to the yielding of the Spirit to renew our minds, to call those things that are not, to speak those things that are not as though they are to come into the development of purity and integrity and honesty and patience and faith and love and self-control. Father, we thank You, Lord, that You've given us these gifts in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.